soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. The risen Savior, Jesus Christ, his teachings alone would just go like, wow, these are amazing. But then that he laid down his life for his friends. Because we're told in the Bible that Jesus said, there's no greater love than laying down your life for your friends. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends. But we're told later on in the New Testament that Christ died you we were yet enemies of God. So he died for his enemies. When we were rebels and unreconciled to God and rebellion to God, Christ died for us. And we saw on the cross just two weeks ago, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he might as well said the same thing about us before we came to Christ. The love, the, the compassion, the ability to forgive, and the authority to forgive, of course, which is easier to say, pick up your bed and walk, or I forgive you and go your way and sin no more. So the authority to forgive and the demonstration to back up that forgiving by raising the lame man we saw earlier on in this gospel as well. We're told in Romans that scarcely would an evil person would never die for anyone and scarcely would a good person consider dying for another good person. But Christ died for us when we were full-on rebels at war against God. So again, that's so commendable. But his teachings and his sacrificial life, as commendable as those things are, and of course that sacrificial life in his case is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins, it is his resurrection that seals the fruit of who he is as Lord of all. Because he said he would rise on the third day. And it is the sealing statement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because, by the way, it's one event in the Bible that is attributed to the triune nature of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all take credit for raising Jesus from the grave. And it is that risen Savior that we worship tonight. So we're not here as a club or as a community. We're not here as a sports entity or a business enterprise. We are here as a living organism born again of the Holy Spirit, representing this risen Savior to our people on our planet at this time in our generation. That's why we sing these songs. People come in here who don't know the Lord, they see these songs, they're like, I don't sing those songs. But they can sing those songs when they come to a saving faith in Christ and they understand what these songs are all about. The risen Savior ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I might quote Hebrews 8, where it says, what's your main point, Joey? My main point is this, that as it says in Hebrews 8, that we ever have a high priest who lives and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. And he promised to come in glory. So he intercedes for us. He's availed to us in every time of need. And he has promised to come in glory. And he's coming for his church. And then he's going to come with his church. That's who we serve. It's so wonderful to be the pastor of this church and get up and know that Jesus is the final authority. As we get into Colossians, we're going to know that he's the preeminent one. 
He's the risen Savior, and he's physically risen. He's not some false cultish belief that he was a spirit or this or that, anything else. Jesus physically rose from the grave in his glorified body. You cannot find the DNA of Jesus of Nazareth on this planet in the sense that it's in the dust. You can find the DNA of everyone else to some degree. We all, from, as, from the dust we came, with dust we return. That's what God said. And David said at the end of his life, I go the way of all men. And he did and we do. We go back to decay, for from the dust we came, the dust will return. But Jesus, who we're singing these songs to, WG, he's risen, and he inhabits the praises of his people. We could be singing songs with the Communist Party in China or Russia to Mao Zedong or Trotsky or Lenin or Stalin, and they can't hear us because they're dead. We could be really trippy and be singing songs to Caesars if we wanted to. But they're dead too. We serve Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, who is ever seated at the reign of the Father, and he's coming, and he's coming to split the Mount of Olives. He's coming to establish a reign of righteousness. He's coming to make straight every crooked path to reveal all things, the thoughts and the intents of every heart, not only in this room, but of the entire planet of every generation. It's who we serve. It's who we worship. So that's why his praise is ever on our lips, for he inhabits the praises of his people. And God is a blessing God, and he's blessed us through the Son, and he wants to bless us in the Son to accomplish the works of the Son while we're here on this planet by the decree of the Son. The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this risen Savior... He opened their understanding to the scriptures. He had to fulfill all things, and it was necessary. We've seen that the last couple of weeks as we studied the death and burial of Jesus Christ. But he, this message of verse 47 is a message of hope that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Now, it should be preached. It's not always preached. There are a lot of churches on the planet, including this country, that do not preach the message of repentance for remission of sins. And if we don't realize that we have a sin problem, then the value of the Savior is diminished. If you have cancer, and if, let's, if someone proposes to you to take radiation treatment, it has no value to you unless you find out you have cancer, and then suddenly you'd rethink radiation treatment or chemotherapy. It's a poor analogy, but it is one that we can somewhat wrap our minds around. We all have a disease that will kill us, and it's sin. It's rebellion against God. David said it best in Psalm 51. I was born in sin, and in rebellion I've lived my life. And against you only, O Lord, and you only have I sinned. Created me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit in me was his prayer that came from that psalm in acknowledging his sinful nature. And even as David described in 139, how we're wonderfully made there in Psalms, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made in our mother's womb, still, even in that, that defective DNA is in us. That sin is there in every cell of our body. So the miraculous of God's design and order of his universe still working to his glory is happening, but the sin element is still there, and we're born in that rebellion. And the, the first words, the first actions as we... My wife has spent the last two years studying pre-K behavior and being licensed to be able to work with pre-K kids. And it's fascinating to understand the worldly view of how you lead younger kids in in public and private education sector and what they can understand, what they can comprehend, what they can't comprehend. But one thing is sure, they are rebels. 
we are rebels. They're little rebels, and without the corrective elements of the Holy Spirit working in their life, they'll be big rebels. The church is entrusted. Our existence here tonight. We're going to have a wonderful time with food and fellowship. We're going to have great fellowship. We're going to have all this fun stuff. We enjoy one another. We have these supper groups. The women can get together. The men can get together. We have all these things that are rich that we enjoy, rich in life and relationships of eternity. But what really makes us distinct as the church in God's eyes because of the blood shed by Christ is our proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the preaching of repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins. That's the great stewardship of the church. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he have this, we have this record in Luke's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, he said to go to all nations, make disciples of all nations, that all authority was given to him. In Mark's gospel, he said, preach the gospel to every creature. So the idea that we just, we need to go out there. And our message has value to those who under the moving of the Holy Spirit, agree with their need for Christ and are seeking to repent and find forgiveness. But our message finds hostility to those who are at war with God and are not seeking repentance, much like the religious leaders had, were at war with Christ throughout the entire journey through the Gospel of Luke that we've seen. The cross is to us the power of God and the salvation. For some, it is foolishness, and to others, it is an offense And Paul said he would not cease to preach the cross, lest the offense cease. So we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and we're going to heaven, and we have this good news, and we don't have to be a slave to sin, we don't have to be a slave to the devil, and we definitely don't have to be a slave to the fear of the grave. That's all really good news. That's why it's called good news. The gospel is good news. Jesus said, I spoke these things, I speak these things that you might have joy and your joy would be full. It's good news. And David said, happy is the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord. It is good news. It is good to be set free from sins because when Jesus said it, the sons set you free, you're free indeed. What better news is that in the human experience than that? You that have lived older, that are older and lived long enough, you've watched people wreck lives. You look in the mirror and you know what you've wrecked in your own life. The wages of sin is death. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. As a man sows, shall shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you'll reap life. We must have repentance. Without repentance, we cannot see the Lord. In the book of Acts, early on, there in the first message, Peter preached repentance and remission of sins, and thousands believed. There in chapter 3, when they healed the lame man, They preach repentance so that what? That times of refreshing could come. There's something wonderful about someone who truly understands the grace of God that has healed them and forgiven them and cleansed them of their sins and they've been set free. Sin not only has a gripping power that controls us, it has a condemning power that will oppress us and destroy us. But if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So we have this stewardship, I have this stewardship, but it's really all of our stewardship that we should be preaching in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. There is, of course, no other name by which people can be saved or forgiven of their sins. People might seek to deal with sin in many other ways, which they do. But, you know, the New Testament makes very clear something that most of us know in this room. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his. And you know when you're forgiven and you know when you're not. 
And people can whitewash sin or say what people want to hear, but way down in the inner woman, the inner man, we know if we're forgiven or not. See, what separates a relationship with Jesus Christ, having received, having repented of sins and received Christ as Savior and the forgiveness that comes with it, is that we have a peace. What did he say? The first thing he said to him in the text was peace to you. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What does Romans 5.1 say? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us peace. And the world religions don't have peace. In 30 years of ministry, visiting people stepping into eternity that know the Lord, you see the peace of God. Now, we've mentioned this recently. We don't know how we're all going to face the grave, what we're going to be thinking in our last moments or last day. But the peace of God surpasses all understanding. And we see that peace with God. Our confidence for being declared righteous and going to heaven is not based upon our good works. It's based upon a great Savior, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And he confirms by his Spirit that we're his and we're the new creation in him. Not perfect, but under construction. And he confirms that to us. But if you're following a human philosophy or world religions, you cannot have that same confirmation. You do not have that confirmation with any world religion. None. You cannot have that confirmation with any world religious view that you are assured of going to heaven. That's why people are always working, working, working. Like the rich young ruler, what do you say to Jesus? What must I do? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, well, he called him good teacher too. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, there's one good, God. Why do you call me good? But that man wanted to justify himself before God. What good thing do I do? That's the world religion. That's human philosophy. That's people trying to live with their moral conscience when their conscience become more seared the farther they get in the journey of life in rebellion to God without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We must preach repentance so people can be saved. And the joy of being forgiven of our sins and being saved is an incredible joy that is just unspeakable when we received it. And we should preach this message. And we should preach it in his name, because there's no other name. Only he alone lived the sinless life. Only Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So when we think about the gospel message and forgiveness in our life, God's forgiven us so we can be an example of forgiveness and that we can forgive others. So many teachings in the New Testament about being forgiven and then forgiving others as an evidence that we truly are forgiven. But it begins in Jerusalem to all nations. And so when we think about our life, we need a global, excuse me, we need a local vision for just who we are and how we carry ourselves at home, in the community, at work, in what we do. But then we need that global heart, a bigger vision to see a bigger body of Christ. Even this last week, I asked Jeremy to pray about uh, different ministries. We have people we love and care about in Venezuela that, that love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are really going through it in a bad way. Venezuela is a really bad situation right now. We have friends in Ireland with new laws against the church, and they're up against great challenges in preaching the gospel like I'm doing right now here tonight with you. And they're up against it. And they're, they love the Lord and they love their people. And we're trying to think like and figure out what we can do to help them. 
this church, as we move toward our 14-year anniversary, we have a long history of sowing bountifully in countries throughout the world, dozens and dozens of different countries throughout the world we've sown the gospel in and been a part of. I can't, I can't wait to see the fruit that you and I share in eternity. And I said this before, when people uh, give of their time or their energy, the resources of this church, I value it very much. I'm very grateful for it. And of all the gifts that we can ever receive, it's always the ones from the kids that get my greatest attention. And you feel a great stewardship of accountability, and rightfully so. Even my dad at 89, he'll be 89 in May, he always says, I trust you with the money because I know. He goes, I trust you with my estate because I know you're going to give an account to God for his, so I might as well piggyback on that. Like, yeah. And like he always says, too, hey, when all fails, keep it short. People appreciate a short sermon, right? So my dad says, stuff people say at 89. I love it. It's good counsel, too, you know? It's good, right? So we think about what we've tried to do as a church in sowing bountifully. We have a vision for Jerusalem, but we do want to reach the ends of the earth, and we're constantly praying about what can we do and what we're reloading and what we're trying to accomplish. And needless to say, anytime the kids in this church go anywhere and do anything, we get behind it immediately because we want the next generation to have a vision to go out and make a difference. But finally, we see in verse 48, so we see the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who is sent into heaven in all of his glory, and there he is, and he's at the right hand. Then we see the great commission entrusted to us in the realm of time. And then the last thing we see here is verse 48, where he says, you are witnesses of these things. And they were. All throughout the book of Acts, Peter, Paul, they'd say, we are witnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. We are witnesses of these things. And like I shared with those high school students earlier this week, I'm a witness to the risen Savior because I'm a testimony to the risen Savior. The philosophies of men couldn't transform Joy Brand. The, the, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, made me a new creation and made old things pass away and made all things new so that I can be a blessing to this congregation as the pastor, that, I, that we can be a blessing to our community and the ends of the earth. That's the evidence and that's the fruit of the eternal uh, risen Savior, Jesus Christ, working in my life and working our lives together. But in representing Christ and being witnesses, we must reflect and be so grateful to say that he's not left us to ourselves because the promise is the Holy Spirit. So if any woman be in Christ, she's a new creation and all things have passed away. Any man be in Christ or a new creation, all things have passed away. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And we can't be, go back and be born in our mother's womb a second time from our mother's womb a second time, but we are born again of the Holy Spirit. We're born anew with a spiritual life. For in Adam, all born and sin and die. But in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, all are made alive and live eternally. So we have to have that second birth. We have to pass from Adam to the second Adam, Jesus, from, from death to life, from the darkness to the light. In him was the light, and the light, the life is the light of men. And we have to have that pass. We have to make that pass. We need to do that. So our lives become a witness of the transformed Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you are the salt of the world, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the Holy Spirit comes upon our life and gives us the power to be transformed. He gives us the mind of the Spirit. And then as we draw near to the Lord on a daily basis and seek to please the Lord, then we produce the fruit of the Spirit where we become more loving, we catch ourselves, we pass more tests than we fail in character and conduct with the Lord. Do you know what I mean by that? You just, you pass more tests than you fail. Like, it seems like early on you fail a lot of tests. Before I was saved, all I prayed for was, thank you for the food and let me get good waves and can I get all the best waves? 
Seriously, that's how I prayed. And not get mad at people in the water, right? Because it's all about me. I'm the center of the universe. And then after I got saved, it's like, uh, help me to give away good waves and not get mad. And uh, help me think of others. You're like, you know, like I knew something was going on because I'm thinking about others. And, and, and that's what happens. The Holy Spirit transforms us. When, and we always get these tests, you know. So you fail this test, but then you get a rematch. So never feel bad when you have a failed test. Because even if you don't get the exact same test in character, you'll get a rematch of some sort. Because we're all in a construction. We're his work of art. And he's working on us for eternity. So you, you get little things that, you know, test you. And sometimes you go like, oh, I failed that test, right? But then sometimes you... You know, not that you want to be prideful. You're trying to be prideful. Like, man, I think I passed that test. Like, by the grace of God, you know? Like, I, I think I came through that one okay. Like, I mean, and that's, that's a transforming life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So we have the mind of the Spirit. We start to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And we function in the church with the gifts of the Spirit. The different gifts that he gives us. He's given everyone something to function and bless other people in the church. And then that baptism of the Spirit is associated with being the witness that the Spirit comes upon us. And the funny thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we wrap it up tonight is we often associate it with, we picture like bold preaching like young Billy Graham or something or Greg Laurie at the Harvest Crusades in Anaheim. But I really appreciate what the Apostle Paul was led to say in the Holy Spirit that when he went to the Corinthians, that he went in fear and trembling. That he didn't come in there like he's just got all together as this orator and this great speaker that he could just handle any situation. But he said he came in fear and trembling, which is very comforting to all of us in this room. But he said that their confidence would be in the Lord and not in a man. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't always look like Billy Graham at Madison Square Garden in 1959. It can quite often look like you just simply sharing your faith in the simplest way in maybe even a clunky or awkward situation, but still articulating the truth of Jesus Christ in your life. Because the truth is always the truth. It doesn't need to be fabricated. It doesn't need to be propped up. And it will never be forgotten. And God's spirit accompanies his truth. And he honors his truth. So your life as a witness, my life as a witness, creates the opportunities. It gives you just, you under construction becoming more like Jesus through the weeks and the months and the seasons, like we just cleared one, and years, it it glorifies Christ and creates opportunities. When we handle things in the power of the Holy Spirit, in contrast to how people handle things in the flesh or according to the world, it is a contrast. Jesus said that those in the world lorded over one another, and they have, and they do, and they will until he comes back. But not so with us, because the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And that's who we want to be. And that is a great witness in the power of the Holy Spirit when we serve when others won't. And we trust that God will honor us as we honor him and put on the humility of Christ in different circumstances and situations to bring him honor. God has given us all the power we need in the Holy Spirit working in our life to accomplish the thought process of the Lord that he has for us, to accomplish the character of the Lord he wants to produce in us, to accomplish the fruit that he wants to work through us supernaturally, and to accomplish the ability to share our faith. And we don't need to get caught up. Jesus said, it best in, best in, Jesus said it best in Matthew 10. Don't worry about what you'll say. My Father will give it to you. And we find time and time again, if we just open our mouth and begin to share the testimony of Christ in our life, the witness of Christ, God will honor that. And it does not return void. 
It's there on display for all eternity. And it's something we need to keep perspective on because as this gospel wraps up, Jesus has done his part. He's always did those things that please the Father and he has sealed the fruit. He went to the cross. He rose from the grave. He's ascended to heaven and he's entrusting with them the abundant life that he's offered them. He's entrusting with them to abide in him and to seek him and to serve him and to bear fruit for him. He's entrusting them in each generation for their singleness, for their marriages, for their children, for their children's children, one generation to another generation. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but it's not the wealth that gets left behind that is the greatest inheritance. The greatest inheritance is the faith that transcends the dimension of the temporal. Whatever I can leave behind for my grandkids that's temporal, it's temporal. It might convenience their life, might give them a slightly better living standard than someone else somewhere else. But that all gets left behind, and it might even corrupt them for what God wants to do in their life. But the faith, the faith we give our children, and the faith they see lived in us, And the confidence in the gospel and the transformation of our lives by the Holy Spirit, that is the greatest inheritance we can ever give to our children, our children's children, and to the entire community around us. We're the Church of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.